ideas for the Christ-following journey. This week's big idea, God is powerful. All right, all right. Good morning, everybody. So glad to be with you, Eastview family. That is a big idea, that God is powerful. Now, hopefully you've heard that through our singing and through all the stuff that we've done so far in this worship service today. Hey, can I just say something? Maybe you don't know this, but uh, the song that we sang uh, to begin the worship service was written by our own musicians, and uh, it is a journey, that, the one that says, uh, your love is home. Uh, that is a journey through the book of Exodus. So if you're wondering where they got all those lyrics and all that stuff, the, the final resting place is the promised land. And so it takes us from there all the way through the rescue and it gets us to where God wants us to be. Blessings on all of you watching us at home, on your family, on uh, any illness you might have, any fears you might have. Blessings to the people at Bloomington uh, campus. So glad you guys uh, are there today. I hope to be with you live, live in a couple of weeks, all right? Everybody else, I'm so glad that you're here. If you need anything, you're brand new and you're visiting, maybe you've just tuned in, you've heard some of the worship, you're going, I wanna know what Jesus is all about. Would you text hello right now? And uh, one of our hosts, our online hosts, will talk to you and be glad to, to you know, steer you towards this powerful God who, who we have found in Jesus Christ. And so um, that's the big idea today. I hope you're putting these ideas together. You know, God rescues us. God speaks to us. God is powerful. That's where we're going to be today in Exodus chapter um, 8. Actually, we just got two verses today, verse 18 and 19 in uh, chapter 8 of Exodus. You know, I've always wondered, as I studied this week's text, I couldn't help but imagine uh, how these 3,500-year-old events would have been played out in 21st century in news media. What would that have looked like if we took Exodus 7 through 12 and uh, today's coverage on Fox News or CNN or one of the local channels. It, uh, you know, I just didn't imagine it. I actually wrote some stuff here. So here's what it might sound like, all right? Welcome to Sphinx News at 10. Today's top story, to clean up the frogs down by the Nile. For a report, we turn to Nancy Nefertiti, who is on location. Thanks, Tom. As you can see behind me, piles of frogs literally line the shore in unprecedented numbers. Beaches remain closed, and health officials are asking everyone to wear masks <laughs> when in public and maintain a six-feet distance from frog piles. <laughs> I don't care if you're entertained. This is hilarious. <laughs> this makes me laugh. All of Egypt still rem remains under a boil order that has been in effect since the water turned to blood just a week ago. Back to you in the studio. Thanks, Nancy. Now to our, our chief astrologist, Amon Ra, for a first look at weather. Thanks, Tom. I guess you could say that last report was riveting. Thank you. Well, we have plenty of sunshine today, but models are showing that there's a chance of some unprecedented hail in the forecast. I'll update you on that and more in the full seven-day forecast in the three-pyramid viewing area just a minute from now. In other news, tense political negotiations continue at the palace between the Pharaoh and Moses parties. An argument on um, both sides intensifies. Moses' uh, official spokesperson, Aaron, continues the campaign slogan, let my people go. <laughs> Pharaoh continues to deny any knowledge of a Hebrew god. In a speech to the Egyptian Taskmasters Association, he instituted major cutbacks in government funding for straw uh, for, straw for brick-making purposes. Immediately drove the cost of building material higher in a market that has been plagued by recent events. Moses, 
<laughs> Moses and Pharaoh were scheduled to talks later this afternoon, but Pharaoh was rushed to the Temple of Healing with heart issues. I could go on, but I won't. Let's go to Exodus 8. If you're not entertained, I don't know what's wrong with you, man. It's not the normal opening to a sermon. We, all of that, that's the news report that gets us to chapter 8, verse 18. We're going to read these two together right in, the, right in the middle of the beginning of the third plague that we know so well that we've heard as little kids growing up. Here's the word of the Lord. It's still powerful, though it's short. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. And then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh, uh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. God, would you speak to us now as we journey through your word, as we recount the story of your Old Testament people of God who were under covenant with you because of Abraham. And would you help us now, Father, in, in new covenant relationship with Jesus, would you help us understand what these plagues were all about and why they happened and what they mean for us? God, would you help those of us today, Christian and non-Christian, visitor and non-visitor, old and young, rich and poor, um, to see the weakness of our gods and the strength and the power of the one true living God. I'm asking you, God, by your, by your word to do that thousands of times. Destroy our gods so that we see only you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, today as we continue our all-church study, we come to this big idea again. Even a kid can understand it. The reason we're doing this, we're, we're following along the Eastview kids uh, teaching. And today, right now, a, a second grader, a fifth grader, a junior higher, they're all learning the same idea. God is powerful. Amen? He's a powerful God. And this is the undeniable conclusion that we come to from the 10 plagues. I'm encouraging you later, when the bears start losing, when it's halftime and it's over, and you're done watching them, that was a, just a joke. Football jokes don't work these days. Anyway, uh, when, you, when you get some time this week, would you read Exodus 7 through 12 and, and see the power of God, how he expressed it in these 10 plagues that ultimately said, I am more powerful than you are. Today, I had our graphics team put all the 10 plagues on one screen as a summary, and these are the 10 plagues that, um, that the people of Egypt experienced. There they are listed. The, the first one was the water turned to blood. The water of the Nile turned to blood. The second one was frogs. Frogs came up from everywhere. They invaded their homes. They were in their kitchens. The Bible says they were in their ovens. Okay. Now, something interesting here is right here, is, is where the, the magician's power stopped. After two plagues, you remember the magicians turned also the staff into a snake. They turned the water into blood. They, turned, uh, they, they were able to produce frogs. I suppose there's a frog out of a hat trick that they were able to pull out. And they did these, they, they were able to reproduce these by their, what it says here, their magic arts, their secret arts. But when it came to gnats, they said, whoa, we can't, we, we don't have this trick. We don't, we don't have this incantation. We can't make our gods uh, produce gnats. 
Uh, now, something else that's interesting is you have the gnats, which is basically they struck the dust and all the dust of the land of Egypt became gnats on man and beast. That might be my least favorite plague, right? Then flies came in, and then God killed all the livestock. It, and then we're talking about big animals. We're talking about cows and bulls, and that's my extent of farm knowledge right there. Big animals, all right? Uh, and then number six, boils came on everybody in the land. This is interesting too. By the time we get to boils, the magicians could not only not reproduce this uh, plague, but they could not stand before Pharaoh because of the pain that they were under. They were covered with boils, right? One other thing that I, I meant to point out a little bit earlier, from this point on, uh, the children of Israel were exempt from all the plagues. God says in between gnats and flies, I'm going to make a distinction between the people that, I, that, that serve me in the land of Goshen in the north and everybody south in Egypt will experience these. So you imagine just like at the border of Goshen, these flies are like, can't get in, right? God stopped it, so it was only against the Egyptian people. And then, of course, hail uh, rained from heaven uh, with fire. Then locusts came and devoured all the crops that were left. And then darkness for three days, so dark that you could not see your hand in front of your face. Darkness for three days. And then, of course, finally, the death of the firstborn of all the people that were in Egypt. Now these are the 10 in order, how they happened 3,500 years ago. And the magicians of Pharaoh, they tried, to, they tried to mimic these. Remember, they had some kind of touch. We'll talk about how they were able to, to um, reenact some of these with their secret arts. But the bottom line is, guys, but the bottom line is that God is trying to express something with all these 10 plagues. You might look at those and go, how random is that? Is God just sitting up in heaven just going, hey, angels, I, I need an idea. I need another plague. What do you, gnats? Oh, yeah, that'd be great. These people just slapping themselves and trying to figure out what's going on. How, how's this going to end? Oh, yeah, I forgot. I, 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 what else can we do? Oh, you know what? Let's, let's just go with boils. That'll make, them, that'll make them all really sore. And then let's just sweep in with locusts after that and freak them out with all these flying insects. Why did God do these plagues? Why these 10 plagues? Well, they can broadly be seen as a contest. I want you to hear this. As a contest between the one true God who is powerful and the various gods of Egypt who end up being powerless. That's the sermon today. There is a God who is all-powerful, and there are many gods who have really, in the end, no power at all. The big idea that God is powerful is proven in the 10 plagues of Egypt as he really seriously takes on and challenges every false God that they have. Now, if you're a skeptic today, which I understand a lot of people are, I've been a kid that's been in church my whole life, so I've always believed in Jesus, have really never not believed in Jesus, and so I understand I don't always see it through your lens, but if you're new today, or maybe you're sitting there going, skeptical, these things didn't happen, there's no evidence in history outside of the Bible that these things took place. Anybody say, aha, it didn't happen. Well, here's the deal. What we know about ancient history is when the kings and the emperors and the rulers write the ancient history, they leave out the bad stuff. That's true of every history that you can read. Most people don't, they don't say, hey, when I was the Pharaoh, we lost everything. You don't want to admit that because Pharaoh himself was seen as a god. Pharaoh himself was seen as a deity. And so, um, so we ask this question, why the plagues? We, because God is trying to show the people of Egypt and the people of God something. And we find that in, in Exodus chapter 7, verse 4 and 5. 
In 7, verse 4 and 5, he tells Moses, Moses, here's why I'm going to bring these plagues. Why these ten plagues? Here's why. I will lay my hand on Egypt, and I will bring my host, the people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt. Here's number one. By great acts of judgment, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against the Egyptians and bring out the people of Israel. Here's why God did these, two, these ten plagues. Number one, I'm bringing judgment on Egypt. They are sin. Uh, sin always brings judgment. They are in sin. They worship sin. Their gods are sinful. I always bring judgment on sin. So number one reason for these plagues, judgment. Number two reason is I want people to know me. I want to be known. I want them to know that they're messing with the wrong capital G God, that I am the Lord. I'm the one who exists. As we sang earlier, the word I am, I am, I exist. I literally, I be in the Hebrew language. And God displays his power for us. And I want to look at these two, these two parts of the sermon, judgment and revelation. Judgment on sin and God saying, I want you to know who I am. Let's begin with the judgment. God is powerful in judgment. He's powerful against false gods and those who serve them. The plagues were an all-out assault on these false gods of Egypt. By the way, they had more than 10 false gods. They had hundreds of false gods. But in some way, one shape or another, a god assaulted and challenged their false gods and their way of worshiping these false gods. You see what it, what it says in verse 18, the magicians tried by their secret arts, and their secret arts were designed to elevate the false gods. So I'll just give you a couple of the ones that are very obvious. Turning the water into blood was a direct opposition to the Egyptian worship of the Nile River. God says, you want to worship the Nile? You want to praise it for all of its bounty and for all of its produce and all the stuff that it grows along the banks? That's the, the, literally the spine of Egypt, the heartbeat of Egypt. You want to worship the Nile River? I'll make your God bleed. And he does. He turns the river into blood. Guess who wins? When you kill all the livestock, you see there, uh, number five, the killing of the livestock was an assault against the bull god of Apis. You maybe have heard A-P-I-S. They worshiped a bull god. It may be this is what the children of Israel made when they went out in the wilderness and they made the golden calf. We'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, boils on every Egyptian was not a banner day for the gods of healing and health, right? Everybody in Egypt was sick. Locusts destroying all the crops in the land was a slap in the face of Osiris, the god of the harvest. Darkness for three days may have been the biggest assault of all because they worshiped the sun god, Re or Ra. Can you imagine? You, you come to church on Sunday morning, you start praying to Ra for sunshine, and it's completely black, dark, you can't see. God is systematically walking through the Egyptians' uh, culture and saying, that's not a God, I'm a God. That's not a God, I'm God. That's not a God, I'm God. And he does it 10 times to make the point that the gods will always lose and also those who serve them. The magicians in verse 18. Who were these guys? Well, chapter 7, verse 11, and again, I'm, I'm flipping back and forth. You can trust me. And you can go read this later today. I challenge you to do that. But in chapter 7, verse 11, it says that Pharaoh had, had to manipulate and, uh, and get people to worship these gods by having all these different guys around him. Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers and the magicians. These were the priests of the false gods of Egypt. What did they do? Were they, were they tricksters and hucksters? One of the words actually does kind of indicate they were sleight of hand. 
What else did they do? Well, they were sorcerers, which means they tapped into some kind of evil power, probably satanic power, a cultish kind of worship. And then another one just says, uh, the word actually here uh, for um, magicians means drawing circles. So they were like in these secret, you know, um, patterns and stuff that they would read and interpret for for Pharaoh or for Pharaoh, his wife. You don't know. How did they imitate the first two plagues? Well, by the occult, by satanic practices, maybe by sleight of hand. We don't know. But they were able to imitate. Here, here's another. This is not the sermon. This is free stuff. Especially for those of you who are not getting an offering today. This is free sermon stuff for you. This is a sermon, a whole other sermon. When you try to rely on your gods to do something powerful, they usually make things worse. Every time I'm going, hey, you know what? Moses and Aaron turned the water to blood. Can you guys do that? And what do they do? Yeah, the remaining water that was left, they turned to blood. Thank you. Hey, there's frogs everywhere. They're, they're literally jumping all around me. Can you guys do that? Yeah, let's add more frogs to this mess. I have always wondered, it's like, why didn't you say to these false gods, take them away? But they made more, and often the gods that we turn to and worship trying to fix our problems make the situation worse. That's a good sermon right there, y'all. They stand before Pharaoh on this third one, though, and I can just imagine this, this scene. They're like, gnats are everywhere, and they're like, Pharaoh's like, do something. They're like, we can't. Our, our, our power's gone. I can't, we can't make more gnats, praise God. They couldn't do it. So God brings judgment against these gods, and he brings judgment against the magicians and those who serve these false gods, but he also brings judgment against Pharaoh and his hardened heart. God always brings judgment against a heart that is hardened against him. Not only did God intend to powerfully judge the gods and the servants, he wanted to judge Pharaoh. This is the recurring description of this leader of Egypt. If you've not been in the word of God very much, or you're new to the Bible, new to church, um, the, the, the recurring theme of Pharaoh is that his heart was hard. His heart had become hardened. Now, again, a lot of people want to ask the question, well, how did this work out? Um, why was his heart hard, and did Pharaoh really have a chance? Because we know that God told Moses before this whole thing began, he said, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and he's not going to let the people go, but I'm going to show my strength and my judgment upon his hard heart, and then he's going to let him go. So a lot of people are, are they're freaked out by this. Like, well, was Pharaoh really to blame if God said he was going to harden his heart? I want you to hear these three important phrases that give us insight. Throughout this story, the chapter 7 through 12, it says these three things different times. Pharaoh's heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart. So he had a choice in this. We also see that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And we also see that Pharaoh's heart was hard. What am I trying to say? You, you might ask, well, was it God's sovereignty that imposed his hard heart on him, or did Pharaoh choose to have a hard heart? The answer is yes. Yes. Biblically, both of those are true. Just because God knows something getting, is getting ready to happen doesn't take away his free will to do it. Pharaoh continually showed himself hard-hearted. And often when we begin to harden our heart before God, God says, all right, you're going hard, I'll harden it more. And I'll bring judgment on that. Maybe the most important question is not for us to try to figure out theologically, whether you're Calvinist or Arminian or somewhere in the middle, why Pharaoh had a hard heart. Maybe we should look at, at, the, at the symptoms 
at, of hard heart disease that he, that he suffered from. And this is just real quick stuff. I want to give you four things that maybe you should look at to say, do I have a hardened heart? Because here's the bottom line. If you have a hardened heart against God, he's going to bring judgment against you. He is powerful. He doesn't, he doesn't mess. You mess with God, uh, he's going to bring judgment on you if you harden your heart. There's four things that Pharaoh did. Chapter 8, verse 19, we've read this already. Look what it says. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He would not listen to them. Who's he not listening to? He's not listening to his magicians, to his closest advisors. These are the guys that are able to turn water to blood, able to bring frogs from nothing, apparently. And when they look at him and say, hey, Pharaoh, this is not a joke. This is not satanic power. This is not us just trying to pull one over on Moses and keep your status as the king and as Pharaoh. We're telling you, Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. And he wouldn't listen to them. When you begin to shut up your ears to those around you who are, who are in your company and in your, uh, in your family, in your small group, then you are beginning to experience a hard heart. Chapter 9, verse 17 says that he exalts himself. Pharaoh thought he was a deity. So number one, won't listen to others. Number two, exalt yourself. Number three, in chapter 9, verse 30, don't fear the Lord. You just don't care. I, don't, I know who God is. I know what the church says God is. Maybe you're watching today and you're brand new to church, first time ever. I'm telling you, there's a powerful God out there. And maybe you don't fear the Lord. Pharaoh didn't fear the Lord, but it's a sure sign that your heart is getting harder. And then finally, refuse to humble yourself. Would not listen, exalt yourself, do not fear the Lord. Chapter 10, verse 3, you refuse to humble yourself. You know, just, just out of curiosity, if you guys here and watching online at the Bloomington campus, if you were Pharaoh, how many plagues does it take before you go, okay, I'm done? Where, where do you stop? I'm not a fan of blood, so I might just be like, I'm done. My, my pool scabbed over. Jun junior high moment. <laughs> frogs, I'm done with frogs too. I don't want to touch anything. But I'm probably gnats or flies. Somewhere in there, there's those pesky things. I'm like, okay, just, just get your people out of here. You have to be really stubborn. You have to be really hard-hearted not to submit to a God that's doing all of these things in your, in your very midst. God's power in judgment, though, guys, is not just for the Egyptians and Pharaoh and for false gods. This is the aha every time I read the Bible. Because I always read the Bible and go, take that, Pharaoh, loser, sinner, false god worshiper. I'm so much better than you. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that you and I are prone to false gods. The Bible says that you and I are prone to hard hearts. The people of God were also deserving of judgment. You understand this, right? They were the people of God by the covenant with God through Abraham and his descendants. That's why God's taking care of them. But they were just as likely to have false idols as these Egyptians. In fact, you guys probably know the story. It would be only months after they were delivered out of Egypt through all these miracles, crossing the Red Sea, and Moses is up in the mountain. They're going, where's Moses? Let's make a God. And they built a golden calf. Maybe, sim maybe similar to the, the livestock and the golden gods that they had in Egypt. The Old Testament people of God were drawn to worship false gods and prone to do the same. The Old Testament people of God also could harden their hearts. You, this is said several times in the scripture. Psalm chapter 95, verse 8, Hebrews 4, 7. There's a warning to the Israelite people. Do not harden your hearts as you did in the wilderness. Why? Because God didn't have water for them to drink. 
and they hardened their hearts. The truth is, Pharaoh is not the only one with a hard heart. The Old Testament people of God had hard hearts. The people of Egypt weren't the only ones worshiping false gods. The, the people of God worship false gods. And that brings us to us. What about you and I? Are we susceptible to hard hearts and false gods? I believe we are. I'm not sure that this whole COVID-19 experience is a plague of judgment from God. Here's why, because I don't understand how God works. But I, I can't tell you that it's not. I, I can't tell you that this COVID-19 is not a plague, that God is trying to show us how weak our gods are. I know this. I know that COVID-19 has exposed the weaknesses of my gods. How about you? The gods that I, I choose to put alongside the one true God who's powerful. Because if you're like me, you've probably put activity and busyness to the forefront. That's your God. Yeah, you don't have a little idol. You don't worship and pray to it. But you have this idol that says, I'm going to go and do and have fun and travel. And COVID-19 says, no, you're not. Not a very good God. Not a very good God. We have the God, perhaps some of you trust in science and medicine. And again, I'm not anti-science. The Bible's not anti-science. I believe every time a great scientific discovery is made, it just goes, oh yeah, that's what the Bible says. But you know what? How many billions of dollars, how many billions of hours have we spent researching COVID-19? What's the, what's the state of our, uh, of our country right now? Uh, we still don't have a cure. What a lousy God. Because we have a God who could go, and COVID's gone. What a lousy God. It turns out that science and medicine are sometimes. What about personal freedoms? Oh, man. We have this idea in America. What, if, what about America as a false God? Now, don't, don't send me emails. I'm as American as apple pie, y'all. I'm blessed and happy that the Lord placed me here by his sovereignty. I had no... <laughs> I don't know if you know this or not, but I had nothing to do with where I was born. Uh, but I do know that sometimes we put this false hope in this God called America, that it's going to deliver us, that it's the greatest country on earth, that it's the, you know what the people 3,500 years ago were saying about Egypt? This is the greatest country on earth. It's a lousy God, even a great country that you're a part of, to put your, your trust and your safety and security and your hope even in a place like America, I could go on and on and on, but I really would like for you to personalize this sermon and say, what are your false gods? What are the small G gods that just creep in, and in the end, you find out they're really not gods at all? Guys, here's the end of the story, and this makes me pivot to a God who wants to be known. There's a powerful God but he's not just flexing. He's not just saying, take that. He's not just saying, aha, you're bad, I'm good, die. That's not God's attitude. God wants to be known. That's why God provided a way for the children of Israel. Do you understand that the, in the end, the only reason the people of God were spared was by the blood of a sacrificial lamb? That's the only way they got out. The Egyptians died death of the firstborn, how did they survive? Because the blood of a lamb over their house and their door saved them from the wrath and the judgment of God. And if you pay just a little bit of attention today, you'll see Jesus very closely in that. The difference between me and maybe somebody who's not a Christian watching for the first time online, the difference between me and you is that I have 
gods, and I have hard heart, but I have tried to give those to Jesus Christ, and by his blood I'm covered. Therefore, I'm not punished the way I should be. And today, you can spread the blood of Jesus over your house, and you can be saved. You don't have to stay hard-hearted. You don't have to stay worshiping false gods. And I pray today that someone who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior will, will just say, uh, like Pharaoh refused to say, God is powerful. There is a God who is powerful. He's powerful enough to do locusts and water to blood and death of the firstborn, but he's also powerful enough to send his son Jesus to take my sins away and wash my sins clean and give me hope of eternal life. Amen. But as I said earlier, God is not just showing off when he does these 10 plagues. He's powerful, but his power doesn't overshadow his other attributes of God, that he's long-suffering, that he's patient, that he's kind, that he has full, he's full of mercy and compassion. And so how does he combine the judgment against false gods and hard hearts and the compassion? Here's how he does it. He says, I want you all to know me. He says to Pharaoh and to Egypt, Pharaoh said in chapter 5, verse 2, you, you, the first time Moses walked in, he, he said, hey, the Lord says, let my people go. And Pharaoh goes, who's the Lord that I should listen to him? I do not know the Lord, and I am not letting the people go. He didn't know the Lord. So the Lord said, well, I'll introduce myself then. Introduced himself 10 times. But all through the whole story, from the very first plague, this line recurs it says for us in chapter 7, verse 17, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. In chapter 8, verse 10, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord I've got. Chapter 8, verse 22, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of all the earth. Chapter 9, verse 14, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. Hey, Pharaoh, you don't know me? You know me now because I'm showing you who I am. Notice the magicians are starting to figure this out. In verse 19, this is the finger of God? Hey, Pharaoh, seriously, seriously, this is not a game anymore. We are dealing with a real God now. We're not dealing with incantations and, and fake prayers and sleight of hand. We are talking about the finger of God is here. By the way, that word for God is the word that we talk about in the Hebrew language. It's the, the, the name of the one true living God, Elohim. It is the plural of El. In the Old Testament Hebrew language, El means God. So Nile River is El, Apis is El, Ra is El. These guys are going, hey, the, this is God times 100. This is plural God. This is Elohim. This is the finger of God. And God is powerful enough to be known to this pagan nation 3,500 years ago because I believe he wanted to bring salvation. He also wanted his people to know his power. Guys, here's what you need to know right now when we feel so powerless. And I know, every time I talk to somebody, myself, uh, friends, family, man, this has been a rough emotional time. If you just be honest, <sighs> we feel like we're after the seventh plague of Egypt right now. And, um, and here's the good news. Here's what I want to tell you. You have a God that is more powerful than everything you're dealing with right now. See, maybe Moses was tiring after this back and forth with Pharaoh. Maybe he was just tired of going, God, how many times are I going to go to this clown, raise my staff, pray a prayer, and boom, you, you strike him. 
And then I have to go back and pray and say, God, forgive him. And then he hardens his heart. God, how many, how many times are we going to do this? He might have just been getting weary in the process. I know we look at this and we're always like, Moses goes, let my people go. You know, we're always very dramatic and he's so together and he's so sure. Moses was human. He didn't know how this turned out. Moses didn't know there were 10. So Moses needs an assurance, perhaps, as God initiates the eighth plague in chapter 10, verse 2. He tells Moses that he's showing these signs of, him, uh, of, uh, of God's because that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them. That Listen, that you may know that I am the Lord. Don't forget this, Moses, in the midst of serving, in the midst of bringing these plagues on Egypt, I want you and the people of God to know who's doing this. I, 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 I could have just skipped to death of firstborn. I could have just blown a big wind across Egypt and swept all the Egyptians away and you guys take over the country. There's a lot of things I can do. I'm God. I'm powerful. I'm going through this process because I want you to see that every time you come up against something that's hard, I'm powerful enough to destroy it. Can you translate that into your life? No matter what's going on in your world right now, no matter what you're uh, dealing with at home or at Bloomington, whatever's going on, God wants to repeatedly remind you, hey, I got this. You know who I am. I can do anything. And he says, Moses, I want you to share this with your family as well. I want you to tell your sons and your grandsons. And God performed these mighty acts, these powerful plagues, so that his people would always have confidence that their God is powerful. Now, they are like me and you. We forget sometimes. And we come, uh, we get led out of the Egypt with a strong hand and all these plagues. Yay, we win. Then we get to the Red Sea and we're like, oh no. Guys, don't remember. Remember? Guys, today, if nothing else, I want you to walk away if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and just remember. Remember with your family. Remember with your spouse, with your friends, with your small group. Remember what God has done. Because if God has done it once, this all-powerful God can do it again. But ultimately, this expression was for the whole world. At the announcement of the seventh plague, which was a destroying hail, God tells Pharaoh through Moses the long-term conclusion of the, of the plague story. After plague seven, here comes the hail. It's going to rain hail. It's going to destroy all the crops. But what it says in Exodus 9.16 is this. This is what God says so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You know what God's planning? He's not planning just to rain down hail to destroy evil. He's planning on sending down his son to save those who are evil. This is a picture of the proclamation that we now proclaim as followers of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is Lord that Jesus Christ, by his presence here on earth, God revealing himself in flesh as Jesus, says to this world, I'm not here to destroy you. John 3:16. if you believe in me, you will not perish, but you'll have everlasting life. But John 3:17, maybe even is better, that, that he has not come into the world to destroy the world, not to plague the world, not to flood the world, not to send hail to the world, but he has come that we might have life. Amen? Yes, for Jesus. Not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So with great power, our powerful God took all of sin, yours, mine, yours, 
put it on Jesus on the cross. And in that judgment, he brought righteousness and justice, and then he gave us life because of the resurrection of our Lord. It may feel like we're in a season of plagues, guys. Maybe we are. But we don't need to be overwhelmed and afraid because our God is powerful. Amen? Amen.